0: So today's message is about what happens next. And so we read the Palm Sunday story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And then we also look at what happens next. So our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 21. Matthew 21, 1 through 17. Before we read that, let's come to God in prayer. God Almighty, we come to you on this uh, Palm Sunday morning, the Sunday before Good Friday. and We recognize that the impact that this Sunday had on the people ancient, in, in ancient Israel, but also the impact that it has on us. So, Lord, through the reading of this, uh, this, this gospel message, we pray that your blessing will be upon us, that your spirit will be upon us, that we will be reminded again of the celebra- celebration that occurred, but also how soon that can change and how we too have to repent of the wrong, the sins that we have done and turn our hearts and our eyes and our focus back to you, back to the cross. We thank you for forgiveness, and, Lord, we just pray your blessing on this time as we, your people, read from your word and hear it proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah said centuries earlier, Say to daughter Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. These are words centuries earlier from the psalmist, Psalm 118. We use them as our call to worship this morning. Hosanna in the highest heaven. We sang the words. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And often the Palm Sunday reading then ends here. But we're going to continue on in the next few verses, which likely occurred on the next day. Verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. And then he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. Comes from Isaiah 56 verse 7. But you are making it a den of robbers blind and the lame came to jesus at the temple and he healed them but when the chief priests and the teachers of law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts hosanna to the son of david they were indignant do you hear what these children are saying they asked him and yes jesus replied have you never read from the lips of children and infants you lord have called forth your praise and so he left them and went out to the city to bethany where he spent the night This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is quite a familiar passage, often read year after year on Palm Sunday. Now this morning, the context of the triumphal entry will again be laid out for us, but then we move on to what happens next at the temple. And we can ask ourselves that question, what happens next when Jesus arrives into town? What happens next when Jesus enters into our lives? So Jesus and his entourage are in Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, and they're still a couple of kilometers away from Jerusalem, and disciples have been instructed to get a donkey. And people then are seeing Jesus riding in on a donkey and perhaps thinking, you know what? Like, Bethphage is not too far a walk to Jerusalem. And they're probably thinking that, you know, other times we've seen Jesus, he's never been on a donkey. He's usually walked everywhere. And Jesus, again, could have easily walked into Jerusalem. But on this beautiful day, Jesus wants to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. And why? Why? because this was to fulfill what the scriptures had prophesied about Jesus. Zechariah 9 verse 9, it was prophesied, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem, and hear all the people in Jerusalem, they were shouting, they were fulfilling the prophecy, and see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, Jesus was being obedient to his father. He was being obedient to God. He was being obedient to what God prophesied in the scriptures. And it's so cool how the Old Testament and New Testament, the scriptures, so complement each other and come together. By seeing Jesus riding on the donkey, people would have known that this was their king entering into Jerusalem. Because the people, they recognized Jesus as the king. People were involved with the yelling, Hosanna to the son of David! Jesus, he's our king! And he was the promised king that was promised from the Old Testament. But normally, kings would enter into a city riding on a horse. Riding a horse emphasized the king's military power. It symbolized war. It symbolized a conquering and powerful king donkey on the other hand symbolized peace and this donkey and this king thing it didn't match up really in fact matthew even quoted what was prophesied that jesus enters gently he enters peacefully christ was riding into jerusalem in a gentle and a non-threatening manner he entered as a humble servant rather than as a conquering king And as Jesus and the masses proceeded into the city, it could very well have been hot and dusty. And it was busy because it was a long weekend. It was a holiday weekend with the Passover feast in Jerusalem. And it was estimated that there were likely a couple of million Jews gathering together in the city, about 100,000. And there was excitement in this city. And there was a lot of foot traffic occurring as well. In verse 10, we read that the whole city was stirred that there was tremendous commotion and this event the entrance of christ jesus stirred and and shook the people the city was stirred the people were stirred and as people they were hooting and they were hollering they were shouting the words hosanna and then we have to wonder if these people really knew what it meant to follow jesus the Hebrew word for, that they were yelling was actually Hosiana. And the word Hosiana, where we get the word Hosanna from, means save us. The word Hosanna, when it's yelled, means save us. Hosanna, loud Hosanna, save us. Loudly we're crying, save us. The Roman guards are likely standing throughout the city with their weapons, maintaining crowd control ensuring that all this Jewish celebration wasn't going to get out of hand. Guards were watching. They were probably waiting for anybody who may have gotten out of line. Roman dominance and oppression were very prevalent in this region. And most Jewish people were probably thinking that Jesus' entry into the city meant liberation. Meant liberation from this very evident Roman rule. The hopes of all the people were heard in the shouts of Hoshiana, save us! Save us from Roman rule! And the people were anticipating a celebration and the coronation of this king who was to finally release the Jewish nation from Roman oppression. Jesus will probably lead a rebellion against the Roman oppression. Jesus is king. And they expected this conquering king. Now you've got to begin to see the irony in this story as we continue. It's five days before his execution on the cross, maybe four days. And let's, let's look at what happens next. Day one. The irony is that Jesus peacefully entered Jerusalem with the Jews' expectation that there was going to be a rebellion against the Roman rule. But day two, Jesus enters the Jewish temple, and he didn't do this as peaceful as day one. And yet, this confrontation on day two was not against the Roman rule and oppression. Instead, Jesus' confrontation ends up being with his own people, His confrontation is with the merchants and the money changers in the temple. And Jesus clears the temple and he angers the Jewish businessmen and the Jewish religious leaders. And there's no Roman rebellion. It's a Jewish rebellion. And then it only gets worse as the week progresses. You see how sin can easily turn our celebrations into difficult journeys? Where we... Need to repent. Jesus sees the commercial activities that are taking place. And it's not the commercial activities themselves that are wrong. Jesus was not condemning the selling of animals and birds for money because this was the time of the Passover. There are many pilgrims who were traveling great distances to be in Jerusalem. People would be required to offer sacrifices once they arrived at the temple in Jerusalem. And since many of them came long distances, they couldn't carry an animal and probably not even a dove with them. So they were able to purchase these things at the temple. So a necessary service was actually being provided. In addition, there was money exchangers as well to exchange money. We have that today. Oxen, lambs, pigeons, doves. The doves are specifically mentioned here because these birds were often used for the poor who couldn't afford larger animal sacrifices. So Jesus wasn't condemning the selling of doves when he overturned the doves' tables, he wasn't condemning probably even where it was happening. Rather, he was condemning how the selling was happening. There was extortion and cheating and corrupt commerce occurring. Premiums were being charged for the animals. People were being price gouged. The poor could only take part in these sacrificial offerings if they were to spend all their money and probably would leave them on the streets for the rest of the weekend. In addition, the Jews and the uh, in, rather the Jews were not permitted to bring uh, Roman and Greek coins with pagan images on them into the temple. So they had to exchange their money outside the temple for Jewish shekels, and the exchange rates were exorbitant. They were inflated, and once again, the poor were being ripped off and treated unfairly. These business transactions were exploiting the poor and disadvantaged. The temple personnel exploited the the people, and the temple, rather, for their own illegal commercial benefits and not for the benefits of worship and sacrifice and healing. And nothing was being done about these unjust practices. The Jewish leaders just kind of let it be. And over time, this is just what happened in the temple. Jewish people thought that the Roman rule was unjust. But the Jewish people were the ones that were being unjust to one another. And Jesus didn't want corruption and injustice in the temple of God. Rather, the temple should be used as a house of prayer. And Jesus quotes a passage from Isaiah 56 that this should be a house of prayer. And in Isaiah 56, it says, for all nations. It's not a place for robbers and where people get cheated. The temple of God was to be a place for healing, for praise and sacrifices that took place for God's people. It was a place where everyone was to be welcomed. And prayer and healing and praise were all being squeezed out by corrupt commercialism. There were injustices. And once again, the poor were being treated unfairly. Perhaps even to the point that they couldn't afford to offer a sacrifice to their Lord and Savior. So what happens next? When Jesus came triumphantly into town, he was ready to set things straight. And he was, as Matthew puts it, ready to stir things up. And Jesus wanted his temple to be used for God's glory, for prayer, for healing, for praise, for justice. And when we go back to the context of Isaiah 56, where Jesus quoted from, God wants his temple to be used for those who had deformities and they were considered outcasts and for those who were foreigners. It was a place where nations would come together and seek the Lord, where people could obtain their animals or doves and and offer the sacrifices to the Lord. God's vision of worship would be kind of a motley crew of people coming together for worship, a diversity of people and nations. Last week, on our way home from church, Michelle and I had a conversation. And I started the conversation off with mentioning to Michelle that I think I had an error in my congregational prayer last week. And I can't exactly remember the words, but it was in the context of praying for the poor and in, in our area, in our community, for the many drug fatalities that were occurring in London and, and in the communities. And if I recall... I prayed for, to the Lord to rise, raise up organizations to assist in all that's going on. And then I realized the organization's been set up already. It's the church. We are the ones that are set up to ensure justice is being done in the name of Jesus now, this passage is often referred to as Jesus cleansing the table. And so what ends up happening with this is we often let ourselves off the hook. And we make sure then that we don't conduct business in the church. And we even go as far as saying we better not do a congregational meeting on a Sunday morning. And then we pat ourselves on the back that we're obeying God's word. But this is the passage that calls us to Repent of injustices occurring where we as a church are called to go out in the name of jesus sure we can pray for organizations but we are the organization we are the body of christ and yes jesus is getting rid of corrupt practices and ensuring all nations all peoples will have access to the temple you know what else is occurring here It's that Jesus is also removing the need for animal and bird sacrifices. He's foreshadowing that five days later, he will offer the ultimate sacrifice. And there's going to be no more need for Passover sacrifices. All nations who believe, all people who believe, will have forgiveness through one, the one and final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to our God. Matthew states how the, after the temple was clear that then the blind and the lame were welcomed into the temple. And again, there's irony here. Because the Jewish leaders were attempting to keep the temple pure by excluding the lame and the blind. And yet, with their illegal activities, they made the temple unholy. And once the illegal activities had been removed, there was now room for the lame and the blind to enter. And to be healed, and for all nations to come in and to worship. And then we go on with the story of that next day. The religious authorities became indignant. Instead of praising and worshiping the king and and what he's doing, they became angry. And who ends up actually uh, praising and worshiping the king? The children the children who were crying out Hosanna along with many of the adults the day before, it's noted the next day, the children are the ones praising the Lord. And we hear the children chanting again. The children are praising God. And God is welcoming the children as full members of his family. and welcomes them into his kingdom. Let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so often we prevent the children from being those children full members. This morning we witnessed the baptism of Casey, where Casey has been welcomed into the family of God and into the family of the church. What happens next? Let's not fail to share God's promises with her, with Jamie, with the parents, with one another, with other kids and adults. Now, I don't think this passage is so much about the building not really about the temple. And likely because five days later the temple curtain was torn into two. This passage is about how we enter into worship and who enters into worship. And so God's temple today is not the church building. God's temple today are believers. And God dwells in his people. He doesn't dwell in buildings unless the people are there, of course. Paul's letter, 1 Corinthians 3:16. We read, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? We are God's temple. And His temple, we, His people, are to be used for prayer, for healing, for praise, for justice. When Jesus comes to town, what will He see going on in His temple? What will He see going on in our lives, in our hearts? What will Jesus stir up in His temple today? What will Jesus stir up in your hearts today? When Jesus comes to where his people are worshiping, what will he see? Are we going to be like the Jewish religious leaders and indignant at what goes on? Or are we again like the little children, keeping our focus on what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, praising him? Are we embracing and unfolding to all people? Or do we only do best with those who think like us or look like us or behave like us? People of God, we are in the final week of Lent as we are approaching Good Friday. And we have an opportunity to ask God's Spirit to show us areas in our lives where we need to repent. Lent is a time of preparation. It's a time of repentance. And we have had a time to allow the Holy Spirit to prepare our temples, to prepare our hearts, and repent of the things that we've Done against God's will and His desire. This week, allow Jesus to continue to search our hearts and to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of where we have strayed from Him. Because Jesus is confronting us. It's not only about the sins of the government that we read in this passage and that we look at today, it's not only about the sins of the church. And none of these sins should be ignored. But today it's about your sins and my sins. And he's confronting each of us because we are the church. So perhaps Jesus will convict us to grow in holiness in specific areas in our lives. Perhaps Jesus needs to convict us of our addictions in our lives and challenge us to overcome these. Or maybe there's a a lingering lack of unforgiveness that constantly eats away at our insides. Or perhaps our lack of love for fellow brothers and sisters needs to be addressed. Or maybe we have the sin of complacency or apathy where we have no regard for God's mission to his people and, and we think maybe it's just somebody else can do that. Right? Like me praying for another organization to do that. We need to repent. How do we respond to the poor? To the children? To all nations? When Jesus comes to town what happens next in our lives what happens next in our worship not only on Sundays but throughout the week so as we approach this holy week and as Jesus stirs his temples as he stirs you and me know that whatever he finds it's not too big for Jesus to deal with Because this week, as God's Spirit stirs our hearts, we also approach Good Friday, and then we approach Easter Sunday. And Jesus will find sins in our lives and know that he came to wash away all these sins. We celebrated that through baptism this morning. We celebrate his death on Good Friday, and we celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper on Good Friday we're reminded that all our sins are forgiven by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. When we recognize that we are sinners and we're in need of his help, know that he has already helped us through his death on the cross. By the blood of Jesus, our sins have been forgiven and nothing is too great for Jesus to conquer. Not even death. So just as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, and just as Jesus entered the temple and he turned it upside down, we need to allow Jesus to make his entrance into our heart and accept Christ and recognize that he is our only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he is the only one that can save us from all our sins. And we cry out, Hosanna, Hoshiana, save us and know and believe that the Lord God answers our cries because of what happened five days later at the cross. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Holy, awesome God, God who is worthy of all our praises, God who saves us, God of grace and mercy, God who desires us to respond to you for all that you have done for us, on this final week leading up to your death, may we reflect on what you gave up and reflect on the suffering that you endured for your people. And may we not take for granted all that, that all our sins are forgiven by the body and blood of the Lamb. May we live our lives as people of mercy and justice, desiring to seek what pleases you. And may we be the temples that you call us to be, and may our private and public worship be a blessing to you always. Bless our lives, bless our worship, bless our church. And may the things we do personally and corporately reflect our love for you and for one another. And Lord, we cannot boast in ourselves and our good works. We can only boast in the amazing grace and love of Christ Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.